and welcome back to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is back, you know, as, back as always as every typical Monday as I always am. I hope you guys are enjoying your Monday. I know I definitely am. Please make sure before I get into the real nitty gritty of this episode, as you guys are always so familiar with nowadays, make sure to STS, make sure to subscribe, make sure to tell me how you feel about the show and make sure to share with everyone you know. I am on every platform you can think of at STS Pod on Instagram. I'm trying to get to 100, wow, 250 followers. So please help me do that. Make sure to go follow me. I'll leave all my links in the description of this podcast episode. But this episode is going to be all about the FA Cup and some Premier League action as well. And of course, we have our Fraud of the Week as always coming. I'm going to add a new segment. I'll do it with Nari on Fridays. You guys should go check those episodes out as well. I have so many other amazing, amazing, amazing episodes that I've done uh, in in the recent weeks. And I'm, I'm certain you guys, if you love this podcast episode, which I'm hoping you will, you'll probably love the other ones as well. So go give those a listen once you're done listening to this one or maybe even before, as I always say. But let's drive, dive straight into the action. And let's get straight into the first match, which took place between Brighton and Spurs. Now, going into this game, Brighton, who've just beaten Arsenal in their previous fixture, they've now beaten both sides of North London. They've beaten the white side and they've beaten the red side of North London, which I think is extremely impressive. Tottenham, who've been on a really good run of form lately, I have to be honest. Antonio Conte's gotten a tune out of Spurs that we didn't think that they had in them. At least we saw it in bits and pieces when he first came in, but it's not been very consistent. That's obviously always been level that Tottenham is that they're not consistent enough. They have too much inconsistency with their performances. But in this game, we did see Spurs of old a little bit, a bit of old Spurs coming out because they were quite ineffective, you could say, for the majority of this game. They had a 0.54 expected goals to XGFC Brighton 0.83. So it tells you that the one nothing scoreline I mean, it could have been 1-1, let's be honest. Spurs did have a at least that one glorious big chance where they could have scored. But aside from that, they were largely ineffective throughout the 90 minutes. It was a good goal that allowed Brighton to win this game, one nothing after you know a bit of a mix-up defensively from Tottenham. And it led to Leandro Trussard, who's been on a really good run of form, scoring against Arsenal at the Emirates and now scoring against Spurs at this Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The way he chopped onto his left, or to, to his left side, and then kind of... Uh, beating the defender that way and then evading him and then finding a way to pass it into the bottom left-hand corner, the uh, the keeper's left, uh, his right. It was a glorious finish from Trussard. It really was. He's definitely he's finding his groove as we come towards the end of the season. But uh, Spurs weren't, weren't the most brilliant, let's be honest. They only had a couple of decent performers, like said Ben Cancour, who had an okay game. But, I mean, the midfield from Brighton, to, to me, to be honest, was quite dominant. I look at someone like Yves Basuma, who was completely bossing this match from minute one till minute 90. And a player like him, he surely will be on a move. He's just so good. Every time I watch Basuma, I just think to myself, like, you're, you're playing for a team that doesn't deserve you. You're way better than your teammates. And that may be awkward. That's a bit crass. It's a bit harsh to say. But I do think it's the truth. I do think that Basuma is genuinely a level above his teammates. Uh, I thought Trossard, of course, had a very good game himself. And I also want to give credit to Pascal Gross, a player that nobody really mentions, but I think he's so tidy when he's on the ball. Like The stuff that he does is stuff that nobody really wants to mention, but his overall game is just so effective. It's, he's so useful at the way Brighton transitioned from defense to offense. And defensively, he's quite decent as well. He's not the most, you know, how do I say this? The most Casemiro-esque or the most Fabinho-esque or Hoybier-esque. But he does a job in terms of being able to to make those crunching tackles when you need him to and being able to distribute the ball well when he does win the ball back. I thought for Spurs, they're going to need 
a bit of a bounce back, a bit of a revival for the next game because they obviously have some tough fixtures coming up and they have a lot to prove because obviously they want to finish in the top four. They play against Brentford next and Brentford who have been on us fantastic run of form recently we'll get to them later on this episode as well but Brentford have been on a fantastic run of form uh will be a tricky match for Tottenham because obviously it's another London derby and if you know anything about Brentford they're London derby killers they love beating their London rivals as you saw what happened to to Chelsea unfortunately or fortunately if you're a Brentford fan listening but uh yeah it was a big result for Brighton and we will move on before I get stuck too much in the mud of thinking about the Seagulls but it's a really big win to beat both Arsenal and Spurs in back-to-back weeks and that's obviously made the top four race even more interesting in doing so. Now on to a team whose top four race could actually be have been revived through this uh, through this Brighton stopping and Brighton ability to break down both the Spurs and Arsenal's defense in back-to-back games is Manchester United. The Red Devils one because of one player. Let me be honest. United were not great on the day. I have to be. T- I have to be completely real with you. This is one of the worst. I saw three really terrible match. I thought three and a half, four matches of really uh, bad football this weekend, and this was definitely up there with one of them. This is like a. This felt like a relegation battle. United to me are one of the worst teams to watch in the Premier League at the moment. I, I have to keep it a buck. They are absolutely shambolic. They are so 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 bad. Like so bad. When I saw the lineup and I see Paul Pogba playing as a six in a three-man midfield that featured Jesse Lingard. Yes, Jesse Lingard. And wait, let me let me kind of go reel it back. If I'm being honest, I'm a huge fan of Jesse Lingard. I think Jesse Lingard is a top, top, top midfielder. I've said this for quite some time. I've always liked him. There's something about his game that I really appreciate. I remember seeing him score in the FA Cup. I think it was the final about four, five, six years ago. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, a star is born for Manchester United. Like, this guy's quality. But we haven't seen so much of it yet since, you know, uh, his days at United. Um, obviously, at West time he was brilliant. But in the United team, as he was in this game, again, largely ineffective, was not the most useful player I mean, don't let all the these you know the sofa score and the fop mob stats fool you because in terms of actual performance, the entire United midfield was outplayed. I thought even though Norwich looked poor in, at moments, United looked equally poor, if not worse. And playing a team that's basically guaranteed to get relegated at home and struggling to break them down and beat them is quite daunting, if you ask me. That's not a very good uh, look, to be very honest. One player did turn up for United, however, and his name goes by... Uh, I mean, you can just call him the GOAT in my eyes. But Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano C. <laughs> CR7 scoring a hat-trick. And this is the second time this season he scored a hat-trick at Old Trafford. And both games finished in a 3-2 result for Manchester United. Of course, a big win for them because they needed this. And now that Arsenal and Spurs have, have both lost, it has allowed them to... I wouldn't say, you know, mount a charge to finish at the at in fourth position and finish at, at the, you know, in Champions League space. But it does give them an opportunity to at least think about it, to dream about it. They are currently sitting only three points off fourth place Spurs and they have to play Spurs. No, I'm mistaken. They have to play against Arsenal in the near future. And that is going to be a very, very good game, very big game, but it's going to have a lot of ramifications on it as well. Of course, there's midweek fixtures coming up also, so we will also be tuning into that in the future. And if you guys want to see me do some live streams in the future, please let me know. I'd love to be doing some live reactions to you know the matches and something I look to implement very, very soon. But back to the game, Ronaldo scored 
three goals. They weren't the most beautiful goals, but you know, goals are goals in football. And if you love Ronaldo, you love seeing him score. And I was happy to see him score a hat trick, especially the third one, the free kick, which we haven't seen from Ronaldo in ages. And it kind of reminded me of Ronaldo of old from Real Madrid days, you know, where you just step up to a free kick and you know, like, he's probably going to score this. And something told me that I I told myself, like, let me watch this. Like, let me pay attention to this because I think he's going to score now. And all of a sudden he made it 3-2 to Manchester United at a time when they were almost guaranteed to lose. And if anything, pick up one point at the bare minimum. And there was going to be a stat that was going to be broken since like 1986, which is every time United lead at halftime, they go on to at least not lose the game, I think it is. And they were on course to lose. As soon as they made it 2-2, thanks to Timo Puki, who actually had a decent game, you would have thought to yourself that, okay, United uh, can probably fumble the bag here. They probably will fumble the bag. And and Norwich, out of all teams, will go on and beat them. But, of course, Norwich had to do what Norwich do. That's why they're at the the bottom of the table. No no disrespect, but it's just true. They concede a terrible free kick, and Ronaldo does the rest. And it's 3-2 to Manchester United after scoring, again, a header from Ronaldo and a tap-in that was set up by... Elanga and uh, Alex Tellez. But uh, yeah, a really poor game for me. They really did not play well. It was a really hard watch, I have to say. It was very difficult to, to, to be interested in watching this match. But again, it is what it is. We will move on to the next match, which was between Southampton and Arsenal. And all I'm going to say about this game is one player and one player only. Fraser Forster, man. This goalkeeper is... I'm telling you, this guy is not human. Fraser Forster, Fraser, I can't even say his name. Fraser Forster is a different breed. This guy is a special, special breed. I have not seen this before. It's absolutely, this is ridiculous. The amount of saves that Forster makes a game, it's really, it's outstanding. She faced of 1.50, which is just, oh my God, man. These stats, this guy, this guy is really, he's something special. Superman. Like, I, I mean, these statistics aren't even doing him any justice. Just know that he had an absolutely fantastic match, and he was the reason why Arsenal couldn't score. I mean, there's many reasons why Arsenal couldn't have scored in this game. Because going forward, they only have two strikers, and both of which have combined for two open play goals in like the last like two or three months, which just tells you exactly where Arsenal are at the moment. And I think I got a bit of a reality reality check watching Arsenal lose against the three South teams in in the league at the moment, or in Brighton, in Crystal Palace, and in Southampton. And they just told me that there's some frailties, there's some weaknesses in the squad. Even I know, obviously, we spoke about it that when they don't have their starting eleven. They don't play to the best of their abilities and they're going to struggle and they're not going to be as convincing as we normally expect them to be when they do have everyone fit. But even in that, you can see there's some some holes in the team. For example, me watching Nuno Tavares, is, it just makes me laugh, man. Like I thought that Walker Peters was having a field day. I thought Elia Nusi was having a field day. Arsenal obviously have a lot of, of rebuilding and restructuring to do. I'm certain they know that. And games like this remind them that you know they're still not necessarily necessarily at the level that they want to be. And their fans claim that they are when they say that they're you know they're the third best team in England by far. And I don't agree with that at all. But anyways, just to say that they, they did lose this, lose this game one nothing, and it was thanks to a goal from Jan Bednarek. And it was a really scrappy and just unorthodox goal from from Southampton. The way that it kind of fell to him through a weird build-up from Southampton, but it worked, and he put the ball into the back of the net with a very awkward finish, but it went in, and he made it one nothing to the to the Saints when the Saints go marching in, and uh, Arsenal ended up taking the L. And I mean, from an Arsenal's perspective, this is three losses on the trot now, and of course, you know, you know, this means they play against Chelsea in their next game, which just means they're going to win 3 nothing at the bridge. It just has to happen because 
every time there's literally a stat where every the last three or four years, every time Arsenal go on a terrible run of not scoring goals, they go to play against Chelsea and they lose. And Chelsea and Chelsea lose and Arsenal win. And I'm expecting that to happen again, where they've gone in a bit poor run of form, but Chelsea will give them some charity and they'll find a way to pick up their form after beating us. It happens every single season. Happened with Frank, happened happened underneath Tuchel last season uh, for the game just before the FA Cup semi-final. They're happy because when you go to the bridge, a guaranteed three points, or at least a minimum of a point is coming your way. It is guaranteed. But uh, on a more different note, let's move on to the next myth, the next fixture. In the Premier League. And then we'll get to the FA Cup stuff, I promise. All the FA Cup talk will come as well. But in the next match in, in the Premier League was between Watford and Brentford. Now, I'm going to be honest. For me, there was only going to be one winner in this game. Only going to be one winner. Because Brentford are, are kings of doing two things. They've, got, they've won extremely good playing away from home. Their away record is really, really good. For a team that's just coming up to the Premier League in their first season, their away record is immaculate. And secondly, Watford at home, they suck. Like Watford are home, or one of the they have one of the worst home form in the entire league. That, that's a that's a fact. That they are absolutely atrocious at home, like really, 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 really bad. And this game was a testament to that. Brentford they give everything, especially away from home. They have nothing to lose. That's how they play every game. Thomas Frank tells them go out there and play your heart out, and you know whatever happens happens. And given the recent run of form, it tells you that things are clicking in their favor. And as long as Ericsson continues to play the way that he is. Brentford will continue to perform well. It's just what it is. He had another fantastic performance to cap it off with another assist. I believe that was for the goal for Pontus Janssen, who scored in the 90th minute to make Watford go away with nothing, come away from the game with nothing, and make Brentford leave with all three points. Brentford did score earlier in the game thanks to uh, Christian Norgard, a player I highly rate, and I'm happy he scored himself in the score sheet. People who are GA merchants will be happy about that. They love gassing up players who score goals and get assists, but I think his game is much more than that, but it's happy. I'm just glad to see him on the score sheet. And then in the second half, a very well-taken goal from Emmanuel Dennis, who's been a bit quiet recently, let's be honest. Emmanuel Dennis has not been the same Dennis we saw at the beginning of the season. People are seeing us because of the whole Nigeria situation and him not being selected for the Nigerian national team, and that could definitely be why. But he's not looked the same for at least the last three or four months, and I'm happy to see him also on the score sheet because this means that Wofford might have the gem of the player they thought they had, or they did have, at the beginning of the season. But uh, again, Watford, just typical Watford performance, very, very labored in possession. Not like They have a lack of ideas. Like I feel like there's, there's a lack of creativity in the Watford team. There's not enough unison or understanding as to what the objective is. And you'd expect a lot better from a Roy Hudson team because he's often the guy that brings that structure, brings that foundation, that base, that, that, that uh, nucleus that you work from, that kind of grows and becomes something that you, you build on for the, as the game goes on. But... Again, Watford extremely poor, especially defensively. Just when I watch Watford, I always tell myself, you know, they're going to concede some goal that nobody, nobody in the, in the, else in the league will score at the time that they concede it, whether that's late in the game or early, and not in the fashion that Watford concede. Watford concede their own type of goals, like a special type of goals, where it's like we don't know how that happened, but it did, and that's exactly how Brentford scored. Who are very good in the air; they have excellent players. Uh, at set pieces, both taking them and scoring from them. And that's why Pontus, Pontus Janssen was able to score. But it was still very, very, very strange. It, it didn't really make too much sense to me how it happened that way. But, um, yeah, you know, Brentford be getting themselves a, a, a big, big result. And I think it's now three wins in a row for Brentford, which is, again, extremely impressive for a team that was literally crumbling in the front of our eyes and just absolutely capitulating towards the end of the season. But they've definitely picked up the form and playing against Spurs in the next game 
will make things extremely interesting as obviously both teams are going to want to win because Brentford play for everything. That's what they do. And Spurs need the points, obviously, to keep up their place in the top four. But uh, when we come back, we'll be taking a look at the games between Newcastle and Leicester and West Ham and Burnley. Now on to onto St. James's Park. Really cracking game of football. This was one of, one of the more interesting games of football I saw. I mean, it wasn't as boring as some of the other ones that we'll get to and mention. But this game finished 2-1 to Newcastle. And just the way, the absolute scenes, the absolute scenes, just the fashion that Newcastle won this game just tells you the direction that they're going at. Change of fortune, change of, of, of opportunity. A new life is being, is being breathed or given into Newcastle and, and just their fan base and everything. You can see that this is a team really on the rise. And a player that's epitomizing this sensational rise is Bruno Guimaraes, who's been absolutely brilliant since being signed from Lyon. And it's a player who I, I said in my Rescuing Lyon series. You guys should go check that episode out, by the way. It's a really, really good episode. And that series is coming back. Yes, don't worry. It is returning soon. So do stay tuned for that because that will be coming in the near future. But that Lyon episode, I spoke about how good and how just how instrumental Bruno Guimaraes was to the Lyon team. And you can see how poorly Lyon are playing since he's left. The replacements they've gotten for him haven't been that great. Yes, I know Lyon won 6-1 this weekend. I am aware of the scoreline. But uh, that was one game. And throughout the majority of the season since he's he's uh, departed the team, Lyon have been terrible. They've been really, really poor. But in this game, for Newcastle, Bruno Guimaraes was everywhere. He was winning every tackle he got into nearly. He just really, really, really stood out to me. He told me that this Brazilian Flair, this Brazilian technique is something Newcastle have been sorely missing for ages. Something we haven't seen since like a Hatem Ben Arfa or like a Johan Kabai type. It's kind of a like hybrid of those two at Newcastle. And since they have a very solid back line that's quite formidable, like they do their job. They're not going to be as leaky, as, as, as vulnerable as they used to be, where every attack felt like they were going to concede. Uh, they're able to have a base that they can work from. It's similar to what Watford don't. That's why I think Newcastle definitely won't get relegated and Watford will because of the fact that the way that they're composed, the way that they're built is such that they can rely on the more attacking players to get them through games as opposed to having hope that they won't concede goals and, you know, and be poor defensively and hoping that the defense can just, you know, get them a clean sheet and, and allow them to not uh, to lose as opposed to trying to go out and win. And Newcastle went out in this game and tried to win and they succeeded. And then the 90th, the 90th minute goal, it just tells you everything about the, everything about Newcastle. The way that Joe Willick beat the man one-on-one and got down to the byline and crossed the back and he took a lucky deflection into Bruno Guimaraes' path and he scored. It's just a really, a really beautiful moment of football, I have to say. But, uh, Leicester were actually quite good in the first half. I mean, Leicester do this all the time, where they have one good half of football, then they have one poor one. It happened in midweek when they played against uh, PSV Eindhoven, who also beat Ajax, by the way, in that uh, KNVB Cup. But we'll get back to Leicester. I'm kind of doing a, like three different dimensions here. But Leicester themselves in that match against PSV in the Conference League, which they ended up winning, and will now go on to the semifinal to play against Roma. But in that match, they were only good for one half, which was the second half. And in this game, they were only good for one half, which was the first half, where I thought Adamola Lukman was, again, was a star man for, for Leicester. And he really stood out to me, and, and he was the most positive player on the pitch for them. I thought everyone else was quite poor. If I'm being honest, the rest of the Leicester team didn't look interested. It looked like they're so focused on Europe that every Premier League game for them is just a, a training session for them to be ready for the big game they have against Roma in a, in a week or so time. It just told me that you know that their attentions and their their 
focus isn't going to be on, on any match they have from now until the end of the season. So teams that play against them can make the most of this, as long as they're in Europe, Leicester, that is. And they can make the most of this and just focus on, you know, beating Leicester to a pop. I mean, Newcastle aren't going to do that, but teams will look to do that from uh, from now until the end. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really poor performance from uh, Leicester City. But, I mean, I haven't come to expect anything less. They've been terrible this season, let's be honest. And uh, for Newcastle, as I mentioned, for so long, on our huge rant, big win for them. And Eddie Howe, I think it's now won five games in a row at home, which is, again, really impressive. So we will move on to the next game, which is between West Ham and Burnley. Really good game from the Hammers. And from the Clarets, too, the finished 1-1. You know, just... A very long ball, you know, set piece FC versus even more set piece FC. Just the way that it is from both of these teams, that that focus on on making sure that you're that they're defensively solid and not really trying to concede any shots or you know playing that open fluid football where you look to break the lines through with two balls and passes over the top. That's not how either one of these teams, either one of, the, of these two teams play. More so West Ham, obviously, with a bit more of of, uh, of technical players in, in their midfield, but. Even then, even then, they're still to a lesser degree than we see other teams in the Premier League play, like a Brighton, you know, like a Leeds United. Obviously, you know the teams in that in that in of that ilk. But game finished one one goals from uh, Vout Veghorst for Burnley, who was being coached by his player, uh, his player, his teammate in Ben Mee as uh, Sean Dyche. If you guys have not heard, has gotten sacked by Burnley, which for me is a massively fraudulent decision. And that will lead me to my later point in this episode. So stay tuned for that. But Burnley sacking their manager, who has continuously brought them up or kept them up from the drop year after year after year. They've gotten rid of him and they put Ben Mee. Yes, Ben Mee, the center back, who's no longer injured. He's now a player manager where he's coaching from the sideline to his teammates, which is absolutely weird. You think, you, you think this isn't real. You think that this would be a simulation for you. It doesn't feel real at all. But anyways, back to the football. Vout Vecor scoring a very typical Burnley goal. The header off the crossbar and then it falls to Veghorst who jumps over the player who scores a goal for West Ham in Sochek. And the way that he just, he just screamed Burnley. It was like, he looked like he jumped on the trampoline four times and then leaped over Sochek one time. A player who loves to score goals, you know, aerially. It's one of his best traits, Sochek. Getting jumped on top of by Vekhorst. I thought that was very poetic because Vekhorst is obviously much taller than, than Sochek or much taller. He's taller than than, uh, than Sochek and he made that known with the way he's kind of just able to just put his arms in his shoulder and, and nod it into the back of the net, which I thought really epitomizes exactly what Burnley are trying to do week in, week out. If they could score a goal like that every week, they'd be delighted. They'd be elated. They'd be extremely content with knowing that they scored another goal with, with, the, with their head. Typical Burnley. Regardless, in the second half, it was all West time, and they had their countless chances to go on and win this game. They did not take them, and as a result, they lost, or they drew, sorry. I mean, they did have much more XG. They had 2.81 expected goals in this game. We expected to score three goals to Burnley's two, so maybe the goal could have been a 3-2 scoreline had everyone been a bit more clinical. But uh, Sochek did get the goal, and he was able to equalize with, the, again, a typical West Ham goal. Another set-piece-like thing where, you know, across into the area, and it finds its way to Sochek, who kind of like... They wouldn't say he he shouldered it, but I, I guess it hits his arm, but like the sleeve part, so they gave it, which I thought was a bit controversial, but that's football. 
And uh, it was 1-1, and uh, West Ham had a chance to go on and win the game. But if Nick Pope wasn't trying to be Spider-Man, similar to Fraser Forster, I don't know what's up with these English keepers being on some serious, I don't know, they put some serious ingredients, special items in their cereal because these guys make some ridiculous saves. And he made a ridiculous save more than once. He really saved Burnley in this match because it could have been worse for Burnley. And he made sure Burnley left at a very vital point as they're going to need everything they can get or they can take, or whatever the term is, because Everton are going to be on the hunt to stay up themselves. We'll move on. When we return again, no returning. Forget that. We'll move on to the FA Cup. Now, the FA Cup saw two matches, as it's now the semi-final, first of which was between Liverpool and Manchester City. I gave a prediction on Friday, on Footy Fridays, every Friday episode. You guys should go check those out as well. Uh, 40 Fridays, I made a prediction saying that I thought City would win this game. And I did say that De Bruyne was injured and, and that, you know, he's not really the most fit. And that's Kyle Walker as well, who's also not fit at the moment. And I thought that even with those injuries, they'd find a way to win this game because I thought they should have won the game that they played against Liverpool at the, uh, yeah, they had a, a, only a week ago. But I was mistaken. Liverpool did win this game 3-2. And again, in the first half, they were by far the better team. This game was a game of two halves. I mean, you could argue that they... They definitely outplayed City, but I thought City also allowed them to be outplayed because City just, you know, they played a, a very secondary string team, first of all. And you could see City were completely torn out and really just extremely exhausted from all the war scrapping that they had to do against Atletico Madrid in midweek. That really, really took a toll on them, which is to be expected. That's what Simeone decides do to you. Whether you win or lose against them, they always make sure you you know that you were in a battle against them. Like you had your war your war equipment, your war gear on you in order to, to stay you know well well equipped on, on your feet because if not, you could definitely collapse and not play football again. No, I'm exaggerating, but you get the idea. But City did definitely look weaker mentally and physically as Liverpool were dominant in every facet of the game, especially like I said in the opening 45 minutes. Goals from Konate, who seems to be on a streak of scoring headers every game he plays. Like he's become an aerial the absolute aerial beast. Like every time the ball goes in here, Konate has a head onto it and he scores. And uh that's made himself extremely dangerous from set pieces and probably makes it difficult for Klopp to keep him out of the team. Offering something that Matip doesn't that is clear and um Here's a good performance from Liverpool, I thought. It's, like I said, I keep saying it in the first half. I thought in the second half, I thought City really came out of their shell and started to expose Liverpool's weaknesses more and more and more and more and became more of a threat as the match wore on. A goal from Sadio Mane, two goals from Sadio Mane, one in the 17th minute and one in the 45th minute. The second one much better than the first one. The first one was a bit of a weird, scrappy, just very, very... just. Ugly goal to watch. It was really just just poor goalkeeping that led to a very simple finish for Mane, who sprinted the keeper full pelt. Who I mean, Stefan thought he was like you know he thinks he thought he was prime Ronaldo. He thought he was prime R nine, being able to dribble past Mane. But Mane said, "No, uh-uh, not today. Let me use my my pace, my aggression, my speed, and and just charge him down and try to force a mistake, which is what he was able to do. And that led to the second goal for Liverpool, making it two nothing before Thiago Alcantara had an absolute. Just a, a really, really mouth-watering moment where he dribbled past a couple of defenders and jinxed his way past a couple of players in the city around the city area and, and passed the ball off to Mane, who with another, again, this was a good goal. This was a very good finish from Sadio Mane. This was quality, quality at its finest from the Senegalese, who I think is quietly having a very good season, but people aren't really talking about him that much. But going on into the second half now, and uh, we all knew City were going to have to come out and, and look to make a difference because if not, it was going to be long for them. 
But uh, City did definitely make a difference because literally two minutes after the restart, Jack Grealish scored a goal, which, I mean, is good for his confidence because people have been flaming Jack Grealish all season. A hundred million pounds for a Gucci deal guy, bro, because it's a waste of time at this point, given his poor performances and poor showings, especially in big matches from Jack Grealish. But he did score. And then uh, late in the game, City did score again, and it kind of made things a bit nervy for Liverpool. Because I think had the game gone on for another 10 minutes or so, City might have gotten themselves level again, given how many chances that they were creating. And then another goal came in, that, in, that, in the United minute, as I'm mentioning, from uh, Bernardo Silva to make it a 2-3 to three or 3-2 three in Liverpool's favour. And uh, really good work from Riyad Mahrez on the right-hand side, the way he just jinxed past, jinxed past the defender and just just really just sent him away. It just sent him to, for a twix, sent him to the shops and then uh, was able to move on and paid on to Bernardo Silva, who was able to have the ball in the plate and score. And then the game finished 3-2. Liverpool move on. And I think they deserve victors given the balance of the whole game. But, of course, like I said, in moments, City were better than Liverpool. And then for a large moment, Liverpool were better than City. So fair result, I think, in my opinion. We'll move on to the next FA Cup game, which took place between two London clubs, Chelsea versus Crystal Palace. Now, this is the one of the games that I was talking to you guys about, about being super boring. This first half was one of the worst halves of football I've ever seen in my entire life. I know I say this very often, but this one, you guys, no, don't even go watch it. If you want to fall asleep, you want some therapy, you want some relaxation, you want some yoga music, put this game on in front of you. You will instantly close your eyes, feel drowsy, feel sleepy, feel lethargic. You won't have the energy to move a muscle. You'll be paralyzed by how terrible, just how terrible the match was. It was really hard to watch. It was a difficult game to keep my eyes on. I have to be honest. And thankfully, things changed in the second half for the better. But the first half from Chelsea, from both teams, I mean, Crystal Palace, credit to Crystal Palace, because they defended exceptionally well throughout the entirety of the game, not just the first half. They were really good. But Chelsea were so poor. And as soon as Kovacic got injured, I was like, oh, the game's going to be long for Chelsea, man. And then I saw Jordan Ayew come on, and I said, Jordan Ayew's going gonna to score the winner for Crystal Palace. It would just be a very Chelsea thing to do. But uh, that wasn't to be. Chelsea were able to open the scoring through a former Crystal Palace player, a player, that, a player that played there on loan only a couple of seasons ago. Ruben, as people call him, Loftus Bunda Cheeks, <laughs> which is pretty funny. But Ruben Loftus Cheek scored for Chelsea. This is his first time scoring since 2019 Europa League semi final against Frankfurt three years ago which is, again, another very good statistic for you guys interested in stats. But uh, Loftus-Cheek scoring a really, just it's absolutely rasping the strike into the back of the night. The, the back of the net. The way it just fell to him randomly, and he just caught the ball perfectly on the volley. Took a deflection of Mark Gurhey, another Chelsea, former Chelsea player, and it found its way into the back of the net to make it one nothing for Chelsea. And at this time, you knew Crystal Palace were going to have to come out of their shell, come out of the come out of the nest a little bit and start to really work their way back into the game. And in doing so, it allowed Chelsea to find much more space in behind. As I mean, Chelsea created so many chances from the fifteen last 15 minutes towards the end of the game. And they were much more dominant in that phase of the, in that area of the pitch in the final third than they, than, they had, than they had ever been prior to that moment. Chelsea did get the second thanks to Mason Mount. And the combination that's becoming a bit familiar to Chelsea fans given the, the big win against Madrid but loss ultimately on, on aggregate. But uh, that win had a goal for Mason Mount in it as well. He's now scored three goals in a, in three games. And the first time he's done it in his career, which is, of course, really nice to see. He's having a fantastic season, Mason Mount. I have to be completely real. No, his stats will, will back that up. But, of course, football is more than just stats. Overall, he's played quite well. Even when he's played poorly, he makes an impact. 
And uh, Timo Werner is the player I was mentioning. I mean, he's continued to be in the Chelsea lineup, and it's been very controversial because Werner's literally been sitting on the bench, you know, eating uh, sour gummies and, and jelly beans in the meantime. And finally, he gets his chance, and he takes it, and uh, he makes sure that uh, he continues to be in the starting eleven again with a really good pass to find uh, Mount. I thought the way his, his mind instantly switched on to play Mount that pass and kind of in the space, and Mount took a very good touch to open up the, the space for himself. And it's slotted into the back of the net to make it two nothing. Before the you know the the typical uh, the the typical gangsters of Chelsea came on the uh, Hakim Ziyeshes of this world and Romelu Lukaku, heartbreaker Lukaku, Lukaku coming on as well, and having his his chance, having at least two chances to add to the score sheet and add himself to the score sheet. He was not meant to be. I mean, clearly this Lukaku move is looking look looking less and less um, promising and and not really suitable as as I was hoping it would be. But I mean, clearly it's not really working out for him and he might be getting a move to Inter, back to Inter or to PSG. We'll see what happens there. But he was quite poor, I thought, in, in missing those opportunities. But I'll always like him. I think he's a great player, but uh, maybe not at Chelsea. But um, yeah, that was the match there. And they finished Chelsea to Chelsea, who will now be playing against Liverpool in the final for yet the second time in the span of two, three months. As they played Liverpool in the EFL Cup final a game, I thought Chelsea should have won. And uh, and that's bias aside. I thought Chelsea were the better team that day. And um, Chelsea, if they take their chances, should be winning the FA Cup this season. But I, I honestly, I'm going to be honest. I know Chelsea are cursed. This is the third year in a row that Chelsea have gone to Wembley. The third year in a row they got to the, they gone to the FA Cup final. And uh, I'm not expecting anything different than the last two years that we've been to the FA Cup final. I'm going to be honest because I just I don't see the enough players have that killer instinct to make Chelsea win the big games. And I think Liverpool have more of that than we do. But anyways, we'll see what happens. Chelsea versus Liverpool in the FA Cup final. It's going to be a very good match. Uh, for the neutrals, they're going to love this again. I don't know why Chelsea always have to be in these big games. I like it as a fan because I like obviously being having the chance to win silverware. But the feeling of losing and watching your team lose so consistently is starting to take a toll on me. I'm going to be honest. But uh, when we come back, we'll be discussing the fraud of the week. And uh, yeah, and also a new segment I want to add in which is the goal of the week. And now on to the fraud of the week. Jimmy Neutron, more like Jimmy Fraud. Jimmy Fraud, ha! I laugh in your face. And this week's fraud of the week is Burnley. None of the Burnley. John Dice, Dice football. Brexit football, mate. All of the stuff that, you know, I because if you know me, you know I'm a huge Burnley fan. And I honestly think this is one of the most fraudulent decisions I've seen a club make in a while. This reminds me of when Watford sacked Nigel Pearson like two or three games before the end of the season. And he was literally en route to keeping Watford up. I will never understand that. And I will never understand this. Why Burnley decided to sack, decided to sack Sean Dyche, I will never know. But I'm happy for Sean Dyche because he can now go to a club that's going to be much more, I, I guess, not that Burnley haven't backed him. But I just feel like he'll get more of an opportunity to really do what he wants to do. I feel like at Burnley, he's kind of had to make up with the devices that they've offered him, which is limited devices, limited resources, should I say, because of just, you know, lack of funds and a lack of interest in funding and, and, and investing in the team. And only recently did Burnley start to really invest in quality players, like the likes of Max, Maxwell Cornell, the likes of, uh, of Nathan Collins, for example. But they, they fraudulently sacked Sean Dyche, who is literally a master. I would say he's just as good as Roy Hudson has, and as Sam Allardice at keeping teams up and he's st- and they chose to sack the manager 
Honestly, I would have definitely have backed Sean Dyche to stay up ahead of Titanic FC, Everton. I really would have. I really, really would have. And I know they picked up a decent result against West Ham, but I don't see Burnley staying up now. I'm going to be honest. This decision is going to be the reason why they go down to the Premier League, or to the Champions League, not the Premier League. They, they're already in it, and they're not going to be in it for long. But go down to the Championship. Did I say Champions League? I'm crazy. Go down to the Championship and stay there for a little while unless you know they can find a way to research and come back up again next season uh, the following season which i highly doubt but um yeah really fraudulent decision from uh, from burnley i thought that was quite poor from them and that that was a decision that should never have been done because had they kept sean dash i think they probably would have stayed up but now players like dwight mcneil and nick pope and tarkovsky and even ben me the player manager himself and vout veghorst and maxwell corne all of these guys will be looking for moves abroad. And that's a very dangerous thing if you're a Burnley fan because you're going to see your team go through a serious rebuild. If you're listening, Claret and Blue fans, it might be long for you guys if you don't stay up this season. But, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. That was a really interesting thing I want to mention about them being frauds for doing that. I think it was a very fraudulent decision. But now on to the goal of the week. Senor Victor, Victor, ha caído. Senor, Senor, which is a very unorthodox goal, but I want to give it to Neymar, playing for PSG, obviously, after a really good pass from uh, from Marco Verratti, who found him. And the way Neymar was able to kind of get his left foot onto it, it's a it's kind of a ball that you play in FIFA, that, you know, lob over the top, and you hope that the, the, the attacker running onto it can get his foot onto the ball and lob the keeper in a weird way. Neymar was able to do that and make it one nothing to PSG in that game. Really good goal from Neymar, I have to say. I was very happy that he was able to score a goal like that. Normally, we're so used to him cutting in off the left and shooting at the near post this was much different much more classier and just fancy in a sense that you'd never expect it from a player like him that's not Neymar's style so I thought that was really a nice goal to see that's my goal of the week you guys let me know your goal of the week and uh, thank you guys for listening as always I just want to add something really quickly this PSG game in the second half was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen I don't even know how to put it into words. Just if you saw the second half of PSG versus Marseille, Le Classique of Uber Eats, it was like Uber Eats versus uh, Skip the Dishes. It was really, 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 really. It was it was like a, it was like a mirage. It didn't look. It looked like a facade. It didn't look real. It, it really. It was the weirdest thing I've seen. Like nothing happened for forty five minutes. Just like a blip in time and ninety minutes, and that was the end of the game. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening as always. Make sure to STS, make sure to subscribe, make sure to show me all that love. I would be hugely, 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 massively, greatly appreciated if you do that. Make sure to subscribe, to give me a rating, to share with everyone you know. Tell me how you feel about the show. Give me your thoughts on it in the rating section of whatever, wherever you listen to your podcast. It would be massively appreciated. Well, I'm sounding like a broken record now. But yes, thank you guys for listening as always. I'll be back soon. A lot of football to watch in the near future. So I'll be back soon. And uh, as always... Welcome to the STS squad. Pick a jersey number. I'm out for now. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.